All right. Things sure do look uh, beautiful around here already. It's amazing the trance. The transformation is so rapid, isn't it? From just you're thinking about Thanksgiving, you're thinking fall colors, leaves, and all these different things, pumpkins, and then all of a sudden, one day, we're in Christmas land, and uh, it is beautiful here. So just a reminder again, if you want to hang around afterwards and help decorate the trees, and, and there are some items down um, on the church grass, too, if we want to put up the banner there, and there's a little nativity scene and some of those things, too. So if you have a few minutes, uh, that would be great. Turn in your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 2. And as always, the Word of God has so much relevance to uh, things that are going on. And as Marco was talking about a few moments ago, as we enter the Christmas season, we also enter a season of a lot of stress, a lot of confusion, a lot of, of remembering loss, everyone, if you don't know the Lord. And so um, I think these couple of verses that we're going to look at in Peter really speak to that as well with perfect timing as we enter this season that as believers in the Lord Jesus, we would have an increased awareness and sensitivity to the Holy Spirit of those who are all around us and be aware of what they're going through and opportunities to share with them. So 2 Peter chapter 2, we're going to be looking at just two verses, verse 11 and 12, where we left off two weeks ago. If you've got that open in your Bibles, please stand if you can while we read the Word of God together. 1 Peter chapter 2, beginning in verse 11, Beloved, I urge you as aliens and strangers to abstain from fleshly lusts, which wage war against the soul. Verse 12, keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles or heathens or non-believers so that in the thing in which they slander you as evildoers, in their opinion, they may on account of your good deeds as they observe them glorify God in the day of visitation. You may be seated. Father in heaven, we... We thank you for Christmas. We thank you for our Savior. We thank you that Jesus came down and took on flesh and lived among us and shed his blood for us and rose again so that this Christmas we might understand and we might truly rejoice that we know you. Lord God, I pray that as we look more closely at these couple of verses in 1 Peter chapter 2 that your Holy Spirit would work in our hearts, that you would open our hearts and minds to the greater reality, the greater spiritual reality that there are so many lost people around us. Be our teacher. Convict us, encourage us, lead us. We pray in the name of your Son, our great Savior, the Savior of Christmas, the Lord Jesus. Amen. Well, let me ask you a simple question this morning as we begin. Who is watching you? Who is watching you? Now, when I make a comment like that or ask a question like that, I'm certainly not asking you in a, in a creeper, creepy stalker kind of looking after you, but rather in your realm of daily connection and, and daily influence where you live, where you work, 
where you go shopping, where you hang out. Who is observing how you live? According to, interestingly, according to a recent, just a week ago, Wall Street Journal report, Tyler McCormick, who is the professor of statistics and sociology at the University of Washington, came up with an actual number. 611 on average. That's how many people that we know, in quotes, that we know by name, some of them, maybe many of them, by face, many, many more, and just by some association in our lives. 611 people on average, and there may be many more. Many more of those people that are in the background, that live in your neighborhood, those people that are delivering Amazon packages, cleaning the break room at work, bagging your groceries, who see you on a regular basis, many of them seeing you on a day-in and day-out consistent basis. So more importantly, the question should be, what do they see? What do they see? I was reminded this past week as I was thinking about these couple of verses many, many years ago when I worked in a massive parts warehouse one aisle over from a guy named Keith. I could barely stand working next to him. He was, the only way I could describe him at that particular time, he was animalistic, seriously. This was a young guy. He was a little older than me, but he was a young guy. And, and he would walk around his aisle in the warehouse in the particular, uh, his jurisdiction, and just like an animal. Sometimes he was up in the air. Sometimes he was crawling on the ground. He would sing songs. So his playlist at that particular time, he didn't have Spotify. He didn't have headphones or anything. But they allowed us to play music. His playlist was all the loudest heavy metal that was out there possible. And he knew the lyrics to every song and would scream out the lyrics. This guy was just a nut, but it went further than that. He would take every opportunity he could to ridicule me personally and every value that I stood for. How did he know? I happened to have pictures of my wife on my work cart, my uh, mobile work cart that I had with me that all of us in the warehouse had. And I had some scripture verses at the time. You could get away with that. I had scripture verses actually on the top of my work cart as well. And I just thought to myself, you know, this guy is so annoying. And I found myself on a daily basis hoping that he would get fired or transferred or lose his voice or maybe even get some kind of extended illness. Until one day, he came over to my aisle and I thought, okay, here we go, daily dose of, you know, vulgarity. And he came over to me, but he looked different. He was slumped down. He didn't look like an animal. He didn't look like a wild animal. He looked like a pathetic human being, and he was actually crying. And he walked up to me and he got real close to me. And he said, my life is falling apart. And he started to tell me in brief his story of a father that walked out on him when he was just a young child. 
of a, of a family unit, himself included, in the embrace of all kinds of different addictions. His own chronic headache problem that would leave him in a dark room for many hours almost every day. And he said, on top of that, he was telling me through tears, the only person I've ever loved in my life, the only person that's ever told me that they love me, his wife told him that morning that she was going to leave him. He looked up at me and he said, I will kill you if you tell anybody that you saw me cry. But I came to you because I knew I could trust you and I knew you would listen. Bam. I mean, I was so humiliated. I, I felt so ashamed. I never thought of this guy the same again. And beyond that, by extension, I never really thought the same about the other 299 guys and ladies that worked in the warehouse around me at that particular time. God really impressed on me that my role there was not to just get through the day. There are a lot of Keiths that see you and I every day. There's good Keiths and bad Keiths. They may be interested. They may be antagonistic. They may be polite to you. They may be very rude. They may be seemingly indifferent. Do you see them? Do you see them? These two verses in 1 Peter chapter 2, I believe, can really speak to our answer to that question. See, Peter here, if you've been with us the past few Sundays, Peter, having laid out the believer's identity in Christ over these many verses in chapter 1, up until this point, now pivots toward a very practical application of that identity. This is who you are as a believer. This is who you are in Christ. Now, what does that mean? How do we apply that? We are changed people as Christians, we, we are different. We are in a new kingdom with a new king and a new purpose. But guess what? We're still here. We still live in this beat up and battered world which hates the Lord Jesus Christ. We work here. We shop here. We live here. We recreate here. And we are bumping into hurting Keith's every day. I think it would be fair to say, and not inaccurate, every single day. What do they see? Well, let's look more carefully at these two verses, keeping that question in mind. What do they see? And I, and I want you to consider with me as we go through this, just in these two verses, four solid spiritual responsibilities that will help us to answer that question more accurately and maybe with more of a sense of purpose. So let's look at spiritual responsibility number one. 
from verses 11 and 12 in 1 Peter chapter 2. Number one, remember who you are. Now that should seem basic and that ties us back to all of the things that we've been looking at in chapter 1 and the beginning of chapter 2. But remember who you are. Look at how Peter begins verse 11. Again, if you look down in your Bibles, he starts out with a seeming term of endearment, right? It says, beloved, beloved. Now, if you have a, a New International Version with you or an NLT, it has, it has the word translated as friends. That's kind of a weak translation because the original language term draws us back actually to our true identity, our true standing before God, our solid identity as we've talked about in the Lord Jesus Christ. The word literally would be translated, those who are loved by God. Let's look at, um, well, look ahead in, in 1 John chapter 4, and we get, a, we get a more of a vivid sense here in multiple verses. 1 John chapter 4, beginning at verse 9, John writes, By this the love of God was manifested in us, that God has sent his only begotten Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Verse 11 Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. That's a very important verse there in relation to what we're looking at at the beginning of verse 11 in 1 Peter 2. Verse 12, no one has beheld God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. Do you get what John is talking about? He is making that bridge between our identity, beloved, and the practical application of that identity, loving one another. Adding the comment, no one has beheld God at any time. So guess what? As believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, filled with the Spirit of God, we are little Christ. That's what Christians mean. That's what the term came from. We are the representatives of God in the world. They are seeing some manifestation of what Jesus Christ looks like. And the first part of that is you and I are beloved by God. So then that love should overflow from us in, guess what? An awareness and a compassion for all of those that God has placed around us. And I would go so far as to say that the different endeavors, spiritual endeavors that you and I get involved in, whether it be theological studies or some kind of Christian living pursuit, it could be in Bible studies, it could be, it could be watching videos, it could be listening to podcasts, whatever it may be. We're studying, studying, learning, learning, learning. If that doesn't include a component that takes our eyes off ourselves and causes us to extend our vision beyond our little world and see with compassion the lost world, then something is fundamentally wrong. And I believe that's what Peter is telling us. He's saying, I've told you who you are. You are much loved by God. You have a solid position that cannot be lost in Christ, but that does something in you. It will cause you now to look outside of yourself. 
Let's look at spiritual responsibility number two. So remember who you are. Now remember where you are. Remember where you are. Peter reminds us again, we are truly strangers and aliens. Beloved, I urge you as aliens and strangers to abstain from fleshly lusts. So he repeats that term again. We see this come up quite often in 1 Peter. Strangers in the original language means a temporary resident. You are a brief visitor. The other term, aliens, is not just a synonym, but it means literally, I like this, we brought this up a couple of months ago when it was used earlier in 1 Peter chapter 1, it means literally alongside the house. That's how we would translate it literally, meaning not living in a place that is your real home. So you're outside of the house. That's your position as an alien. So back up. Peter says, I urge you as, urge being a very strong word here, he is saying, in essence, don't get attached, don't get tangled up in this world because, guess what? You are strangers and aliens. Guess what? This world is not your home. That's what he's telling us. Don't try to find all of these things he's just established in the Lord Jesus Christ, your security, your happiness, your identity, your sense of success. In all the lusts and the promises and the wrong way values that this world peddles. It doesn't work. It will never work. And it dilutes, even destroys any distinctive different that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. I've been having trouble with my hearing aids the last couple of weeks. And in fact, uh, this morning I'm going solo. So I'm only hearing really well out of one ear. I can still hear, but I'm hearing better out of one ear than the other. This thought came to me. Imagine that all of us in this room, now you might think, well, I'm not old enough to be there, or I don't even like the idea of thinking about hearing aids. But imagine, if you will, bear with me here, that we all had a spiritual hearing aid or both together that would allow us as Christians, when we walked out of this room, whatever you've got planned for this afternoon, whatever you've got going on for this next week, would allow you to audibly hear the emptiness, the cries, the hurt, the disappointments of all of the people that you encounter. Can you imagine what that would be like? So you're out in public and you're out in the grocery store and as soon as you walk by somebody, you hear crying. And you turn around, but nobody's crying. But somebody's crying on the inside. It's Christmas and they, they don't like Christmas. They just get really stressed out about Christmas and they don't know Christ. And you keep walking down the aisle and all of a sudden you hear a lot of sighing, loud sighing, nervous sighing, panicked sighing. And you hear somebody begin to go into a panic attack. And you look around and you think there's an emergency here, but nobody looks like they're going into a panic attack. But you're hearing what's going on inside. Is there some spiritual reality here? 
think about this. While all of this is going on, and I think this is kind of the thrust of what Peter's talking about. While all of this is reality, this is what's going on. We miss it because we get so consumed, all of our time is taken up with all of this stuff that's not even going to be here very long from now. You're not going to take any of it with you to the grave. In eternity, it's going to be nowhere to be found. It's all going to be burnt up. It's all going to be the moment you die and enter into eternity, you're going to look back and say, what a waste. You're going to know immediately what a waste all that stuff was. And yet, how time-consuming is it? And what are we missing? Here's the third responsibility, spiritual responsibility. So we've had remember who you are, remember where you are, remember what you are in. Remember what you are in. Look at verse 11 again. So these first three are all packed into verse 11. Beloved, I urge you as aliens and strangers to abstain from fleshly lusts. Look at this last phrase, which wage war against the soul. We are in a War, the scripture says, in the original language, it has the idea of an ongoing constant battle. So something that never ends. It was originally a military word. Do we forget this? An ongoing military spiritual battle. This is going on all of the time. This is what God is talking about. And we remember that from Ephesians chapter 6 when he says, finally be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God that you may be able to stand firm against the steams of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against what? You know these verses against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the full armor of God that you may be able to resist in the evil day and having done everything to stand firm. Paul also writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, these fascinating verses, beginning of verse 3, for though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh, for the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. We are destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God, and we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. There is a spiritual battle going on there, and it's a battle, as Paul brings out in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, it's a battle of truth. It's a battle of, of truth versus lies. It's a battle of what is right and what is false. And he says that, that there is a battle being raised up against the knowledge of God. You think that's true? That's the battle that you and I are in. Now, he's not talking to unbelievers, is he? Not in Ephesians chapter 6. He's talking to you and I. Not in 2 Corinthians chapter 10. He's talking to you and I and saying that there is an ongoing, as Peter, as I mentioned, the verb form here is something that is ongoing. It's not a military campaign that ends. 
It's an ongoing battle for your soul. He says, against your soul. So he uses a very strong verb. He says, abstain. That's the battle cry, to completely keep away from something. Because a spiritual battle is there to wear you down. The spiritual battle that wants to conceal the truth from you, that wants to get you and I so distracted, like I was with Keith. What were my distractions? I was in my own little world. I wanted to get my work done. I wanted to get it done on time. I wanted to listen to my own Christian music. I wanted to have a nice, pleasant environment. And my distraction was annoyance. Annoyance to the point that I hoped the guy would lose his voice, get some kind of disease and lose his voice. I'm ashamed to say that today. But there's a battle going on. It's a spiritual battle. And if we get, if we get pushed aside and, and all of our attention and our focus is over here, and this is what God wants us to see. This is the truth, and the truth is calling out, and we're not hearing it because we're so distracted by all of this stuff, waging war against our souls. Now, notice it doesn't say for our souls. Satan can't touch our souls. Jesus said, they're in my hand and no one can snatch them away. The Father has given them to me. No one can take our soul, but he can certainly get us going in the wrong direction and so distracted that we don't see reality anymore. Here's the last spiritual responsibility that we're going to look at today. So we had remember who you are, remember where you are, remember what you are in, and lastly, the next verse, verse 12, remember what you do. Remember what you do. Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles or the unchristians, the unsaved, that in the thing in which they slander you as evildoers, they may on account of your good deeds, as they observe them, glorify God in the day of visitation. It's an interesting verse. There's a lot going on there, right? But you get the central message. As you read through it, what's the impression that you get from it? If you, if you were to take this and put this verse in your own words, wouldn't you have a sense here of unsaved people don't understand me. They really, really want to slander me. As they did the first century Christians, they called them cannibals because they celebrated the Lord's Supper. They made fun of them, so they're actually eating as flesh and blood. You know, they're cannibals. They made fun of them because they thought they went against the government. They made fun of them for all kinds of things. Has it really changed that much? So they're trying as hard as they can to slander you, to put some untruth on you. But that's not where the verse ends, right? It says, but as they observe you, and that word observe, again, is a very intense word in the original language, and it has the idea of watching you day in and day out. That's what I like. It's not a one-time look at you. It's not as we come out of our homes and we shoot out there and then we retreat again for a few days and we shoot out there. This is an observation over time. And it says they're watching you. 
And what's the end result? That as they watch you, they may come to glorify God in the day of visitation. Now, that's an interesting phrase, and I don't want us to get theologically tripped up there because people have written actually paragraphs and, and whole chapters on what that last phrase means. But I think a strong case can be made that in this day of visitation, this is the day of salvation. Uh, we could look at this as this is the end times, but there's a few problems there. There's no definite article in the day of visitation where there normally is in reference to the end times. And nowhere else in the New Testament do we have non-believers glorifying God. I don't think they'd be glorifying God. I think they'd be very aware of an impending judgment upon them. So there can be a case made that this is talking about an unbeliever observing your behavior, even though they wanted to slander you. And the Holy Spirit gets a hold of their lives and their spiritual eyes are open and they glorify God. That's why we're here, isn't it? It's an interesting verse. An interesting idea. That's why we're here. Christmas is a difficult time for many. Now you may say it's a time of joy. It's a, it's a great time. It's a great time of celebration. But that's maybe in our own little world. That may be in your own little household. But as you begin to look around, as you go out Christmas shopping, as you go to the grocery store, as you go to restaurants, as you walk around your neighborhood, you go to school, you go to work, there's a lot of people out there. Remember, if you had that special supernatural hearing aid, you'd be hearing something different that might be reflected on their faces. Kind of the irony of the whole Facebook life, right? presenting one thing to the world, but off camera, there may be a different reality. Are we aware of that? Who is watching us? Who is observing us? 611 people on average. Did you know that, that you knew 611 people? But it could be a lot more. Peripheral people, if there is such a thing, that are seeing you and you don't even realize it. What are they seeing? There's a lot of Keiths outside these double glass doors. Oh, we don't have any Keiths in here right now, do we? What are they seeing? And are we seeing them? Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. Thank you for the directness of your word. Thank you for the clarity of your word. And we certainly know, Lord, that we're in the midst of a spiritual battle. A spiritual battle that would have us not see the many, many lost in this world, the many hurting people, the many empty people, no matter what their faces may say. Help us, Lord, as we enter into this Christmas season now to just be aware, to tune into your leading through your Holy Spirit.
to see people differently. We pray in the precious name of our Savior, the Lord Jesus. Amen.